Hey everybody, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here. I am excited for today's podcast episode and I'm very grateful for my guest who uh, we tried to do this uh, about a week ago and had some technical difficulties. And uh, so he was gracious, gracious enough to come back on and, and give some more of his time. So um, I have Blake here from uh, SBA Tax. He is my CPA and we're going to talk about uh, taxes. Blake, for being, thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for doing this again a second time. We're going to jump into this uh, because uh, taxes are an important part of uh, of investing. Uh, there's a lot you can do with it. So I'm excited to share with everyone some strategies, some things like that, and just some things to think about. So before we jump into it, though, uh, quick disclaimer, um, I am not a tax advisor. You are a CPA, but you are not advising anybody specifically because everybody's situation is different. So please don't take anything you hear on this podcast as, uh, you know, cut and paste stuff for your own uh, situation. Make sure you're seeking your own your own counsel um, so you can be strategic and doing the right things. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, the first thing that I wanted to jump into is the whole mindset around taxes, because, you know, people get this. Well, I want to pay as, as little tax as I can or like taxes are 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 bad or like the tax code is your enemy. And uh, I think you can look at it from a different perspective, right? I mean, there, the tax code, yes, there is some, you know, it's there to produce revenue and things like that. But there's the other side of it that is um, to incentivize you, right? Um, and, exactly. and you can use it to your advantage. So can you talk a little bit about, about that piece of it so people can maybe shift their mindset away from just, I guess, the negative side of taxes and look at the positive side of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of that, I mean, like, like you touched on just to start off with is the fact that, I mean, most time when people deal with the IRS, it's not in a pleasant fashion. They're either getting a bill that says they owe money. Or, and I think oftentimes people have the fear that the IRS is going to come get them and take them to jail or they're going to, you know, take all the money in their bank accounts. And there obviously are situations that can happen. But what we try to do in I think what a lot of CPAs try to do is basically educate their clients and kind of make you thinking a little bit more of like, okay, how can a tax code be your friend? Because obviously, like you said, the main goal here is IRS is trying to drive revenue, but they also try to drive policy and incentives. So they might put things in the tax code where, you know, when can, they did the tax cut, uh, tax cuts and job act where they had uh, incentives for depreciation for investing in real estate. That's in, to incentivize people to want to invest in real estate. They have stuff now, the new stuff's come out in terms of clean energy, stuff like that. So yeah, they definitely use it to, as a way to incentivize people to do things. And so what we try to do is basically kind of figure out what people's situations are and kind of what their goals are, what they want to do and figure out how they can use the tax code to their advantage in your situation where you don't have to be scared of the IRS. I mean, you can think of it similar to like uh, if you had to take a test. If you're taking a big test and you walked in your classroom and you hadn't studied at all, it's natural to be nervous for the test. But if you've taken the time to prepare, yeah, there might be some nerves, but for the most part, it's like, okay, you know you've, you've done everything you can, you've prepared, and so if something happens, you're like, okay, I think I can probably answer you know, most questions I might get. That's what we try to do, people, is rather you know, be there, help them to be educated. So when they're looking at investments, looking at things they might do, okay, does this fit my goal, and is this something that you know, can, can, benefit, can benefit me from a, from a tax perspective? Absolutely. And I think you I think you hit on a, on a key point there, which is another thing people um, kind of work backwards with their taxes, usually where, you know, they do something and then they go to your, their tax professional and say, 
okay, now save me as much money as you can on my taxes, right? Where mm-hmm. you really want to do it the other way around and you want to say, okay, what can I be doing to uh, lower my tax burden or to be strategic? And you have to do that ahead of time, right? You can't just show up, you know, you're not, you're not a magic, you know, you're not producing magic here, right? You're, you're taking what someone's done and yeah, you can probably work a few things around and, and use some strategy, but it's a lot easier to use that strategy um, as the person doing it, right? And, and you have to be proactive in that instead of just here, fix my problem or lower oh, yeah. my tax burden. Absolutely. And like I said, there, there are things that you, just because you have completed a transaction or something doesn't mean you can't do anything. But I mean, to kind of make a, a real estate comparison, you know, kind of you're building a house. If you want something done and you're working with the builder, it's easy up front to kind of go, hey, I want you to put this door, this window in this spot. The house is built. You can still do it, um, but it might be more work or you might be in a situation where you can't do it, you know, because the, the way that, you know, the foundation, the, you know, the, the walls are set built that it might not allow that. So essentially, we, you know, it's, it's better to be proactive than reactive. And that's what we try to, where possible, work with people to kind of get you thinking more in terms of, okay, you know, I might buy or sell a property or I might do something you know, what are the taxes? Is there anything you can do to mitigate that? I mean, sometimes you might have a situation where someone wants to do something, needs to do something, and there might not be a ton you can do. And, but at least in that situation, you can, you know, you know, up front, okay, if I do this, X might happen, or, you know, what can you do to, you know, like I said, to mitigate that versus after the fact, it's like, oh, did you do this? Oh, well, like, we could have done this if you would have. It's always easy to kind of like, look at something before you do it, then, than after. And I think just the way taxes tend to work, especially because you do them after the fact, essentially, right? You know, we're kind of heading in right now to the 2022 uh, filing season. We're kind of in it right now. We're into 2023. We're not too far in 2023 where something can't be a better sure. current year. But oftentimes you're looking at stuff after the year is already closed. There are some things you can do, but, you know, oftentimes you're kind of like, oh, well, if you could have done this even, you know, sometimes in December, November, it's like, oh, well, like I'm only two months behind. It's like, yeah, but, you know, the year's closed. So I think it's also the nature of taxes is trying to help people just think about them a little differently in terms of like, okay, let's think about them throughout the year versus after the year's over when you go to file them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, not to jump too far ahead in, into the weeds and we'll, we'll get into a couple of these things here um, in just a minute, but you just think about things like, you know, depreciation and cost segregation and some of those things. Well, it's kind of hard to do that. You know, you got you got to plan that out in advance, right? Okay, here's mm-hmm. what I'm expecting to make. Here's what I need to buy to be able to write write off what I want to write off to offset, you know, my tax burden. Well, you, you can't really do that without, you have to be proactive to do that. You have to know what you're anticipating to make. You have to know, you know, what you need to write off. Um, and you have to know it to how that helps you strategize and target what you want to buy to help you, you know, make that all work together. Right. So. Well, absolutely. And even just to kind of add on an even more basic level, just looking at it, like from a standpoint of like, okay, what you might owe or what you might, you know, be getting back because one thing people oftentimes miss and a lot of people know this, but a lot of people don't, and you'd be surprised is that. So when your taxes are, so let's say you will go, your, your taxes are going to be on extension, you know, for most people, um, that's going to be, you know, the tax deadline is good. This year is going to be, uh, it's normally the 15th, but because of the way holidays fall, it's going to be the 18th this year. Even if you're on extension, the IRS wants you to pay whatever your tax liability is by that date. So let's say, you know, Ben, we put your taxes on extension and you happen to owe like $2,000 or whatever the number might be. We're just using a round number to kind of, kind of make it easy. They want you to pay that number by the 18th. If you don't, 
they will charge you interest and penalties. And oftentimes people go, oh, well, I thought my taxes were on extension. It's like, well, the IRS expects you to be looking at your taxes throughout the year. And they go, what do you mean? Like, how would I know? And so that's kind of going back to the proactive part. Not only, I mean, I think the real estate thing is a great thing to do and it often ties into people's you know, strategies and what they're looking for. But even on a basic level, like it's good to look at them throughout the year, just so if you do have to file extension or something, you're not in a situation where the IRS is hitting you up for penalties and interest a couple months later. And you're like, what do you mean? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. You know, so it's even this basic stuff like that. It's good to kind of like have like a, a look throughout the year taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that you're not hit with a big bill at the end. Right. And so looking at it, on, you know, on an ongoing basis, so you're, you can, you know, Hey, I need to make an extra payment or something like that, or at least be aware that it's coming and not just exactly. all of a sudden have it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I just have to make it clear. I think it's ironic how if uh, like they start tacking on fees the, the, the minute after that, but if they owe you, they, they take their sweet time. Send it back to you, so. <laughs> Definitely a do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gotta love it. So no interest on the money they're holding on of yours. So well, uh, they will give you interest. It's just they definitely will kind of like tend to kind of be like laxadales about it. Whereas yeah, like, yeah. you know, for you. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, you, you actually, know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that they gave interest. So that's have a, a podcast much, in terms of uh, about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> frustration with the IRS and the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into some, uh, this is a real estate uh, podcast. So let's talk about some uh, real estate. So we talked a little bit about just kind of the mindset around it, being being proactive and strategic and not just, you know, here's my receipts, do something with it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about real estate um, specific tax laws and um, strategies. So what are a couple, um, you know, I kind of alluded to a couple things earlier just with depreciation. Um, and cost segregation and some of those things. So let's just talk high level um, real estate. Uh, what does it take to qualify for some of those um, incentives that you can get and, and what are some of those and how do those function? So that's a big question. Okay. So take it wherever you want to take it from there. Okay. I think um, before we get into that, I think it's, um, and this is something most of your listeners might know about, or maybe they, they don't, but I think it's good to touch on what depreciation is. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thing, Thank you. Yeah. That's one of the things that makes real estate investing attractive to either, you know, people that are will qualify for real estate professionals. And we can touch on that. But yeah, thanks for doing that, by the way. I think it's easy. Uh, it's easy. I try not to do that, but it's easy as people that are in the industry all the time to kind of forget that. Like I know what depreciation is, but there's plenty of listeners out there that may or may not know what that is and, and to even have that conversation. So thank you for, for jumping no back. I mean, that yeah. that, I mean, I have that uh, the same problem sometimes you're talking to someone next thing you're like, what, you know, what's, you know, you start going down the, down the road and it's like, what, what, what was that first part? Was that, what was that? Um, but anyway, basically depreciation essentially is a non-cash deduction that is allowed for essentially accounts for like the use of an asset or the wear and tear on, on something. Uh, you have different asset lives based on different what properties is, you know, so building is going to have a different useful life than a car would or a fence or what have you. Basically, they all have different have different lives. And so what that means is the IRS is going, OK, you have this asset. It's worth X. We're going to give you a yearly deduction for having this, assuming that it's having some wear and tear or causes, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily go down in value. There's usually some sort of upkeep or expense that you have of like having an asset, you know, like even though we're talking about real estate, an easy example for people that aren't necessarily familiar with, you know, depreciation with that is to think about a car. Once you buy a car, people, most people go, okay, you buy a car for 10 grand, drive off the lot, like it's not worth 10 grand anymore. Each year it kind of goes down in value. 
that's an easy way to kind of think about depreciation. So sure, sure, and it's like it's essentially supposed to be the life span of mm -hmm. whatever that that's that specific thing is. Exactly. Yep. And yep. the benefit, of, though, as I alluded to before, it's a non-cash expense. So we'll take a building. Let's say you're renting a property out, and after expenses, let's say you made a profit of ten thousand dollars. Just to kind of like said use round numbers, kind of keep it easy. Okay, normally speaking, if you had a business, that would be tax. You have to pay tax on that income of $10,000. Well, if that asset has depreciation of, let's say, $10,000, well, now that $10,000 that you have from that rental property or whatever that investment was, it's now effectively tax-free because that depreciation has eaten that up. So your bottom line shows zero on paper. Now, we can kind of go into, maybe we'll have time thing. We can touch on depreciation recapture and how that goes in down the line. But the idea would be that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So if you save that, you now have basically 10 grand that you don't have to pay taxes on. Or mm -hmm. even taking it a step further, let's say you had $12,000 depreciation in that property. Well, now your property is going to show a loss on paper. So now you have a loss, which you might actually be able to use to offset other forms of income you have, thereby reducing your taxes even further. So depreciation is one of the uh, the key drivers or, or, or makes anything that makes uh, investing in real estate, you know, attractive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good explanation. Again, <clears throat> thanks for jumping back and, uh, and explaining kind of the basic concept of that. So the idea is right. You it's, they give a life to different, these different buckets. Um, you know, it's supposed to basically be the life of whatever that is. The idea is you're writing it off because by the end of that, you're going to have to replace it. Essentially. That's the basics. Exactly. And because it's an asset, something you bought, um, and use it to hire purchase item, you don't get a full deduction in the year for that property. It gets spaced out over time. And we can kind of talk, we can talk, we'll have yep. a cost segregation. We'll talk about how that actually, you know, impacts the asset. But the idea is, okay, you bought this property. And for we'll just make it real estate specific, residential buildings have a useful life of 27 and a half years, commercial have 39 years. So they go, okay, you're going to have this asset and it's going to be useful for this amount of period of time. We're not going to give you a deduction up front for this item. We're going to let you space this out over how long we think that asset is going to go last. So, right, right. So let's jump into the cost segregation piece of that because a straight, a straight depreciation schedule would just be you take however much is considered the because you can't depreciate land, right? It's just the improvements. Mm -hmm. So you take the improvements portion, you divide whatever the value of that is by 27 and a half, and you just, every year it's the same amount. Um, but there's a different way to do it. And it's actually, I believe the way you're supposed to do it, um, which is breaking those things up into buckets. And then um, that can, and then you will, so let's talk about those different buckets and how that works. Um, and how that can accelerate some of your depreciation into, into more like current years. Um, right. And then the, we'll, we'll talk about bonus depreciation on top of that. Um, okay. once we cover that. Perfect. Yeah, correct. Most of the time, and like I said, keeping this real estate specific, is when people come as a property, you'll go a portion of it to the land, which you can't depreciate, and then a portion of the building, which you can depreciate. And people usually just take that whole cost over 27 and a half years. Well, the way you're technically supposed to do depreciation is the IRS wants you to go in and classify it by, by uh, asset type. So when you buy a house, it's not just a house. You have, you know, improvements, you have personal property. There's, there's more assets, mechanicals, more, things like mm -hmm. that. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. There's more, uh, more that goes into the home. 
if you're following like the letter of the law, they want you to break that up. They don't necessarily make you do it for houses one because most people don't have the time. It can be a cumbersome project to, to do. Two, it's better for the IRS because what happens is, as we alluded to before, different assets have different uh, asset life. So the house has a 27 and a half year life, but an improvement would only have 15. So 15, it's a shorter period. You're taking you know, a number divided by a smaller denominator gives you more depreciation. So it allows you to kind of accelerate stuff further. And so because it's kind of one of the things where for the IRS, it kind of goes against the direction of risk. It's not something they are going to harp on you about or tell you're supposed to do, but it it generally is too good to me to your benefit to do. Sure, so, sure. Not only for the fact you can accelerate it, and then what you talked about before is a cost segregation. Well, that's why it can be a little bit more cumbersome to do. You And when you buy something, you have to have a professional engineer, third party, they come in and they evaluate it. And they basically, they'll give you a full workup report that says, you know, this is how much goes to the land, this is how much goes to the building, this is how much goes to improvement, this is personal property, appliances, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so it is more- Yeah, you more. can't just pick, pick some numbers. You gotta, you actually have to have someone professional do all that stuff. Right, yeah. especially if you're trying to do a cost segregation. Now, if it's it's different if you were obviously gonna do like an addition on the house, because that point, if you're being, especially if you're doing it yourself, like you know, putting up a fence, you know how much that costs. So you can like break that part. But if you're talking about sense. the actual structure, um, yeah, you're going to need a professional. Um, it usually can't be uh, a CPA unless they're certified as like an engineer that does that. I mean, there are some, I believe, that actually will um, do two different things. But when they do one project, it's generally an engineer or someone who's specialized in like actually reviewing it. I mean, the report has pictures. It, it's a pretty detailed uh, process. But, yeah, it is. Yep. Um, yeah, I've done a couple, so... Yep. Uh, so that's why it's something that they don't necessarily make people do just because it's an extra cost goes into it. And as I said, it kind of goes against what they would like if it went the other way and it was something where, you know, it was going to cost the IRS money, like they'd probably enforce it, but because it goes the other way, they, yep. they don't. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. Exactly. So let's, uh, so you, you, we started talking about, um, so taking it one step further, you can do, um, um, so, oh, actually, sorry, we talked about cost segregation. So there's also another component to cost segregation, with, which is currently supposed to phase out. But um, but let's talk really briefly about bonus depreciation, because that's okay. even a, another. So, so you know, you got your standard depreciation. You just divide it up, right? 27 and a half years, mm -hmm. commercial properties longer, um, not to get into all those nuances, but just kind of basic concept. Then if you do a cost segregation, you're pulling some of that into you know, a shorter amount of time. So you're depreciating it over, you know, a shorter amount of years. So you're bringing more of that forward. And then now you also have uh, the uh, bonus depreciation aspect. So what does that allow you to now that and you have to do a cost segregation to be able to do bonus depreciation. So how does that look? And then what is the future outlook of that look like? Yeah, so yeah, that's true. You, um, you have to, if you're trying to off, off a structure, if you're trying to use bonus depreciation, you're going to have to have a cost segregation because you need to know what goes into it. If you're doing something after the fact, oftentimes you, you might still be able to do it because it's something completely separate. You know, like example I used before, like building a fence, like that might be something. Oh, that you know. Yeah, that makes because sense. You might know the cost of the components, you know, how much you pay if you didn't do it yourself, how much you pay the contractor. Like that's easier to kind of like actually segregate versus if you're looking at something that's actually part of the structure of the house like that needs someone to help you break that out that but, makes sense and i'll make a quick note there that that's something that i think a lot of people aren't aware of and maybe are not doing if they're doing their taxes them, themselves that 
you know, someone might be hearing, oh, fence. So I'll just, I just build a, I, I just, I'll just expense that all out. That's an expense, right? Well, technically something like that is not an expense, right? That's an improvement to the property. And you're supposed to add that into the depreciation schedule, not expense it in one year. Right. That right. Yeah, that is correct. And like I said, there's kind of like, there's dollar thresholds and like, you, we can kind of kind of go in like a little bit in the weeds on that. But as a general rule, it's something to kind of look at, like, you know, whether it's a major improvement or a minor improvement, you know, to yeah. the property and like, whether it looks at something's like, you know, material that needs to be to be there versus if it's like, oh, you know, you're putting in something like small. So yeah, yeah. that is something to, can, something to, uh, to yeah, you start. can't just put, oh, I put an expense in, you know, so I'm just going to expense it all you know, in that year doesn't, doesn't necessarily work that way. Right. And it kind of, yeah, it, it kind of comes back to the point we talked about before, like, okay, what do you think in the useful life of this is like how much value does it have? What's the actual cost of it? Like, like there's, there's definitely like materiality things to consider yep. there, but yep. um, what we we're kind of looking at with the time before you allude to with the bonus depreciation, is it something that went in with the, uh, or came back in with the tax cuts in uh, jobs act. And essentially what they allowed you to do was for certain types of property, generally like equipment, uh, five-year five year improvement, five-year property, 15-year property, they allowed you to, instead of taking that, that depreciation over the 15-year period, five-year period, seven-year period, to take it, all in the one, take it all in one year, which can be a huge advantage, for, especially if you've got like a decent-sized property um, or a house or home or duplex, something like that. You can have situations where, you know, you buy something for, you know, X cost and like, 30% of it maybe might be able to be deducted in the first year. Like I said, it kind of like, I've seen some where it's more, I've seen some where it's slightly less, but like if you're thinking 20, 30%, it's a general, like it's a, it's a general, like I think window you can like see as being something that's reasonable. And uh, yeah, that could be a huge deduction up front. You know what I mean? Like you have something that instead yeah. of you know, depreciating over 15 years, five years, you're now taking it all in the first year. And as we talked back before, depreciation being something that can turn negative an example we talked before, instead of having a $2,000 loss in the property, maybe now you've got like a $25,000, $30,000 loss, you know, that just gives you yeah. like that much yeah. more uh, to to offset taxes with. The catch there obviously is, and this is, you know, kind of, we talked about the reactive, proactive part of it is, uh, as the end of 2022 is when the 100% uh, bonus depreciation deduction uh, went away, because it's starting to phase out essentially. So for 2023, you'll be able to do 80% then 60, 40, 20, and then anything in 2027, it's going to go away completely. Now, there's a chance that Congress, someone might keep that in play. Like, obviously, there's different factors that, that, that can go into that. You know, like, there's, you can talk to some people who say, like, oh, so, you know, this is only hurting helping wealthy people. And then you talk to other people who go, oh, well, if you look at the numbers, like, it actually really isn't doing much of anything. It drives investment. And so, like, that, that, whether that sticks around. Yeah, we probably shouldn't get into that side of it today, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a political thing. But yeah. <laughs> the point is, right now, it's you're still looking at decent, you know, deduction. You know, you bought something, yes. you know, you have like, you know, $250,000 deduction. You're still looking in the neighborhood of like, you know, 220, you know, you know, now. Yeah. So like, it's still not bad. Obviously, yeah, as so you go further on, it's, like, it's, it's also, it's, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily something to say that, oh, because you can't, might not be able to do full bonus, that it's something you shouldn't do. Um, because depending on the size of property, what it is, like, it still might be, you know, advantage. It's just, you know, oh, yeah. being a hundred percent, we're now kind of in the range of when things are going to start to kind of, you know, kind of go away. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see. I would say, um, my, my guess is for the smaller properties, once bonus depreciation goes away, assuming it does, it's going to make less sense on those single family, you know, single family duplexes, some of that stuff. Um, you know, even though you're supposed to do a cost segregation anyway, right. 
um, but you're not getting as much versus, um, you know, your bigger properties. You, you want to pull, you got a lot more components. You got a lot more mm. uh, personal property that you're pulling into earlier years. And again, you're supposed to do it anyway, um, especially on the bigger buildings. But um, man, I hope they, I hope they, uh, um, I've used bonus appreciation a couple of times just so in cost segregation, it's a great tool. I hope it doesn't phase out completely, but you know, all you can do is play by the rules and, and right. see how they write them. So, <laughs> well, the good thing too, like I said, to keep buying is like if like even though it's what you're supposed to do, like it's not something the IRS is going to make you do. So, it's like I said, there's like it's kind of one of the, it's kind of one of those rare cases where it's something that you're supposed to do that the IRS doesn't really like. Yeah, care yeah. if you don't do. So anybody right. that out there thinks that like oh like I'm supposed to be doing it, it's like yes, but like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's only like this point. It could only be to your benefit potentially. Sure. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. So um, to take advantage of some of these things, there are some certain uh, parameters or certain, you got to fall into a certain category for some of this stuff, um, or or it can only offset certain types of income. So can you talk to that part of it um, and the um, qualifications? I always forget the actual terminology of this, but to be mm -hmm. a professional, um, a real estate professional, I think is what yes, it is. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's one of those things that like, as you said, like just because, so anybody can do these things. It's just going to like, for example, like let's say you qualify for real estate professional and I don't like, because, and we'll get into what those are here. There's just going to be things that you can do with it that I can't. It doesn't mean that like, it might not be something I want to do or that it's detrimental to me. It just might not be something, you know, you take full advantage of. So basically what that is, is kind of the kind of give a, a high level thing is so the IRS basically has has basically made all rental real estate activities passive by nature. And when you offset income and losses, this is for anything, the way it's supposed to work is passive losses can offset passive income and active losses can offset active income or vice versa, however you want to look at it. Basically, you have to match active to active, passive to passive, because the IRS wants you to make these like offsetting like things. For a long time, it used to be that like people were offsetting real estate against active before they kind of went and changed things. And the IRS kind of felt that, okay, this is a tax shelter. We need to kind of close this. Like loop. your surgeons that are making mm -hmm. a lot of active, you know, um, other business owners, things like that, right? It's like, okay, I'm making all this money as a professional. How do I not pay taxes on it? Right. That's kind of how. Okay. Yeah. Doing. Let me go invest this property, use depreciation, offset my income. And it kind of said, okay, like this isn't really active per se. Like we're going to go in and kind of close this like loop. Yep. There's some lobbying that came into play and they basically came to a compromise, which high level means if you qualify as a real estate professional in that example we talked about before, where, you know, you have like a 2000 or I think we said $10,000 loss, depending on the amount of depreciation we're talking about. If you qualify as a real estate professional, you can actually offset your active income with the rental real estate or the investment properties or whatever you're working on, working with that's related to real estate, so long as you meet the qualifications. And basically what those are is first, you have to work at least 750 hours in real estate business or trade. And the second piece is your work in the real estate business or trades has to be more than any other work you do. So kind of like using you and I as examples, you're in real estate, you're going to meet the 750 hour requirement. And unless you have a side job that you do more than real estate, your, your real estate is going to probably be more than anything else you do. Versus right. me, if I was to open it, if I was to have a rental property or rental properties, for example, uh, 
I could maybe meet the 750 hours if I was managing doing things like that. But like the real estate work is never going to exceed the amount of work I do as an accountant. So I wouldn't be able to to qualify. Uh, so that's kind of like the catch there. It must be at least so many hours, and it has to be your main your main thing. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yep. But the key that, but one thing to keep in mind there is that if you're married, if one spouse qualifies, both both spouses qualify. So let's say you know your wife is not in real estate, or your or, or your husband or whoever it is, or your spouse. If they're not in real estate, well, if you are you can qualify as a real estate professional. You can still offset their income with it. So it's, it's one of the things like if one, if one spouse qualifies, both spouses qualify. Um, it's Which just kind of like, huge. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah. it doesn't mean that like, Oh, because one does it, you know, one does it, one can't, it's just somebody has to meet the qualifications. Yeah. Yeah. Then, that's a good distinction. That's a good point because yeah, there could be one spouse that's a real estate professional and one spouse that is a doctor or whatever. Right. And or, right. I mean, if you're making, few hundred thousand dollars a year that the that your spouse is a real estate professional and through the depreciation and everything that you're doing on that end can offset a big chunk of that income um, and not pay taxes on it. I mean, that's that's huge. Exactly. Now, that just qualifies you in order to actually take losses or you know offset this passive income and get you active. You do have to materially participate in the business. There's a list of seven things that we can kind of go into, but the, just as a high level, the easiest one, one that most people use, right, that I've seen at least, is basically you work at least 500,000, 500 hours in the property, which nets out to about 10 hours a week. If you're materially participating in this property and there isn't anyone working more than you, you know, like that you're, you're basically, you know, working as much. And like I said, we can kind of like there's, uh, list. I suggest anyone you can, like you can Google like the list or get with your CPA. Like they'll kind of go through, go through with you. But just to, the easiest one to kind of look at is the 500 hour request. Is you have to basically be materially participating in them because the 500 hour is basically like the IRS is like benchmark for active participation. So they're not going to be go okay, cool, you qualify as a real estate professional, but you have a property manager doing all the work. Well, that doesn't get you there. You still have to be kind of actively doing it yourself. It's just, you know, you the, 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 just the, there's thresholds you have to you have to meet essentially. Gotcha. Yep, yep, that makes sense. Awesome. So now that doesn't mean like if, even if you didn't meet that criteria, you can still use it to offset other types of passive income, right? Correct. So, yes. Um, so yeah, exactly. And something else to keep in mind is not only the fact that like just because you don't meet the rest, that if you have passive losses, you can offset other passive income. Not only that is there is a catch that if you are somebody who isn't necessarily super high paid so if you're in if you're modified adjusted gross income which for most people is going to be their adjusted gross income like what you end up paying tax on for most people uh if that is a hundred thousand dollars or less the irs will allow you to deduct up to twenty five thousand dollars in passive losses against your active income so if you're somebody who's making a hundred thousand dollars or less you have a rent example used before where you're at the you know the two thousand dollar loss for the property you can use that to offset your taxes. Now, once you get above $100,000, it starts to phase out. So once you hit 150K, that deduction goes away. But if you kind of want to look at at least getting something, if you're within 150 or less, 100 for sure, you're still kind of in a range where you still might be able to take advantage of some of this stuff. So that's something where somebody's looking to start off. It's like, oh, well, you know, I don't have a ton of money. I don't think I could qualify as a real estate professional. It's like, well, if you can kind of do something in real estate, 
there still might be a benefit or an opportunity for you to kind of offset some of your income. So again, and that kind of all comes back to you said before to depreciation and that being kind of something that like can be a driver of, you know, investing in real estate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a perfect uh, tie into what we said at the beginning, which is that, you know, all of this, this is ideas and thoughts and things to get you thinking, but um, you're only going to be able to be effective in any of this uh, as, as much as possible in your own situation is, you know, if you're talking to your own professionals and they know your situation and they can help you strategize. So don't go to try, don't go try to implement all this stuff on your own. You can't really do it anyway on your own because you have to have certain professionals if you're doing cost segregation and all that anyway. Um, but you're going to be a lot more effective having a professional along. I mean, there's so much to learn in the tax code and there's so much to know and you're never going to know it as good as someone that's in it every day. So lean on your professionals and, and work through your scenario with them and they can help you figure out the best way to just strategize and find those little, um, not loopholes, but those little crevices in the code or whatever that you might be able to fit in that it may not seem like you can at first, but you, hey, let's, we, you can fit right in here, right? Right. There's that. I mean, trying to help people out. And sometimes it's just having someone to kind of help you through like the process. I mean, because in theory, like anybody can do anything with themselves. You know, if I was going to go buy a house, like I don't necessarily need you as an agent or someone to help me with it. But hey, no, it's, de I'm it's definitely, <laughs> but same as like you doing your taxes, like you don't need us, you don't need me to do your taxes, but like it can, be, it can be extremely true. beneficial. Just like, yeah. you know, having like you as an agent, it's like, they're going to help you through a lot of like the negotiating the property, you know, the paperwork, you know, like, okay, what, you know, disclosures, like there's just a lot of stuff you have to go through that like having like a professional, like is an advantage to do. Like, so absolutely. One yeah. Of those things that a lot of times people look at it. It's like, oh, I can do this myself. And it's like, absolutely. You can do anything yourself. It's just like, do you want to take the time? Is it worth it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, that, I, that's a great another mindset thing that I think a lot of, I mean, I've been through that journey myself and you see, especially people that are starting out in real estate and just, or business in general, it's like, it's really easy to look at um, every line item as an expense and, and to try to shift your mindset that it's an investment, right? You're spending less time um, doing the things like this that I'm not an expert in, but I, you know, I could be out finding a deal or helping someone exactly sell a house. That's what I need to be doing. Not, not digging in the, in the tax code where you could have the answer in five minutes. Right. That doesn't make right, exactly. It's kind of like, what's your time, sense. you know, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, yes, it's more expensive than, um, you're more expensive than TurboTax. But is it really, is it really? Because if you're, you know, the advice should, and the strategy, if you're doing it right, um, with hiring any professional, it should actually um, bring you returns on it because exactly, yeah, time and, and money, or yeah, or you know, one or the other, or both. You know, one hundred percent. I mean, it's like I said, if you're, in like I said, everyone's different. If you're somebody who like your your only you know thing is a W two and that's it, it's like yeah, you probably don't need because it's a simple. Sure. Like, it's not going to take you much time. But yep. if you have more stuff going on, you're considering doing other things. It's good to get some, you know, some some help and things like that. You know, kind of like if I was, you know, trying to do tax taxes right now and also like close on a house by myself. Like, I mean, it's it's hard enough closing on a house when you have, you know, someone helping you. Let alone if you're right. trying to do it by yourself. So, I mean, uh, it's kind of the same deal. You know, it's just you can take your focus away, work on other things that are, you know, more valuable for more valuable to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Do what you're what you're best at and do what's going to drive um, the results that you need and not get caught in all the nuances of everything right. else. So absolutely. Well, on that note, uh, thanks for being here. If, uh, if, if people want to reach out to you and talk 
to you about your services? What's the best way for them to do that? Or do you want me to just uh, post um, your contact information um, on social media? How, how can they get in touch with you? To talk uh, about I think you? the best way to do it is just via email, especially right now. Um, you can reach me, my first name, Blake at SBA-tax.com. Um, and like I said, if you want to put that in the description, wherever you can, I will, I will absolutely do that. And yes. And I, and to your, uh, I think you are alluding to the, the, especially right now part, cause it is, uh, starting to get in the thick of tax season here. So you are going to be a, a little busy for the next few weeks while we, uh, we, you know, go through the weeds on that and you are doing tax returns and all that stuff. But, uh, but he will get back to you and, uh, and make sure that he answers any questions. And you can see if uh, it makes sense to, to have them uh, come on board for your, your taxes, um, join your team as well. So um, Blake, thanks again for uh, being here on the show. Thanks for doing it a second time because of the issues we had uh, last week. Again, <laughs> I know you're busy, so I uh, really appreciate you spending uh, double the time to, to, get this, uh, the, to get this done. No problem. And again, like I said, happy to have you be here and help you out. Awesome. Thanks again. All right.